Message from Starfleet Command, top priority. You are listening to the Trek Ranks Podcast, a member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. This is episode 156, featuring the top five Picard season three moments. Welcome, Star Trek fans. I am Jim Morehouse, and I'm the host of the Trek Ranks podcast, and tonight we are breaking down one of the great seasons in the history of Star Trek. We are doing our top five Picard season three moments from the Titan to the G. We got it all covered tonight, and introductions uh, for such a huge topic like this. You know, we've got we've got three Starfleet grease monkeys, all dipshits from their particular sectors in the universe, ready to talk Picard with us. First up, hailing from the UK sector for the thirteenth time, it's a dipshit from the UK, Reliant class, Mr. Carlos Miranda. Carlos. Thank you very much. I've <laughs> I, I've been called worse, Jim, today too. So this is this, this is great. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop the dipshit bit right now because our <laughs> next guest from his sixth overall appearance coming to us from the USS NCC North Carolina, Mr. Chris Burris. Welcome back, Chris. Thanks, Jim. It's good to be back, and it's a pleasure to be talking about this fantastic season that we just experienced. Oh, my God. Incredible season. And finally, she's back for her third Trek Ranks appearance, hailing us from the Texas Expanse on Maintenance Frequency Delta 99. It's Kim Lawler. Kim, welcome back. Thank you. I'm really excited to be doing this one. Yeah, this one is a big one for sure. Okay, going to be a great show. Let's get started with our quick Trek Ranks inspection shakedown. I like structure. I like meter. I like keeping tempo and time, which is why you will probably find this inspection boring. Thank you, Captain Shaw. Trek Ranks is all about structure and meter. And the Trek Ranks charter has two clauses. We rank Trek so we can have a fun conversation about Star Trek. And two, the ranks don't matter. We just use them as a framework to have a deep dive conversation about all the things we love about Star Trek. Because as Mr. Spock himself has said, our show is all about... Infinite diversity in infinite combinations, symbolizing the elements that create truth and beauty. There are no wrong answers at Trek ranks. We love it all from TOS to TNG, straight through to Enterprise and the Kelvin Timeline, now Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Short Treks, Lower Decks, and Prodigy. It's all fair game here on the Trek Ranks podcast. Black alert. Black alert. And a reminder that this episode of Trek Ranks is current through the Star Trek Picard series finale, the last generation, a grand total of 883 episodes of Star Trek across the past 56 years. And no films are in play tonight. So we can move along. Hailing frequencies open. Thank you, Mr. War. If you can hail me directly on Twitter at Trek Ranks or at Enterprise Extra. And you can see all our extensive rankings of all the treks at trekranks.com. And don't forget, you can call and leave us a message with your own picks at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. Okay, Carlos, Chris, and Kim. Let everyone know how they can get a hold of you on subspace. Carlos, double Mac. I'm, yeah, I'm really active on Twitter, which is now just basically only reserved for Star Trek and, uh, yeah, really just for Star Trek talk. So find me at, uh, at double Mac on Twitter. Chris, how about you? Well, you can find me at Burris CJ on Twitter as well. Perfect. And Kimberly. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Kelly ND three. Okay. So everyone, 
track those three handles down on Twitter, talk some Trek. All right, we are ready to run a diagnostic cycle to get into today's show. Computer, run a level two diagnostic. Okay, so we're going to run through the quick Trek Ranks matrix that we always use to break down our season recap shows. We're not just picking five random items or five random episodes. We're kind of breaking it down by category for each round. So here we go in round five. We are each going to pick our fa- our favorite production design elements. So, th- so that can be anything like your favorite ship or a prop or a costume or score or visual effects, anything you want. In round four, we're going to choose our top performer or actor or creative person behind the scenes. Round three is the Dabo round, the wild card round. Pick anything you want to highlight. Round two is all about your favorite character from the season, however you want to narr- net, uh, define that your favorite character and round one is clear. That's your favorite episode of the season. That's what we do here at Trek ranks. So we're going to get into all of that now, but first we're going to hear our prime directives from everybody to see how they broke down their list. Do they know about prime directive? They know everything I know, sir. And you're about to know everything we know about our prime directive. So Carlos, let's start with you. How did you define your prime directive and finalizing your picks this week? You know, I tried to get really clever. I was like, I'm going to go for like kind of esoteric and like things that are a little bit (laughs) off the beaten path. And every single time I thought about it, and you know, while I was walking the dog this morning, while I was having coffee, um, I just came back to, I was telling you, I I told you, Jim, that I came back to that kind of meat and potatoes type answers. So I just really went with, with rather than overthinking it or trying to get too clever, really just unabashedly the thing that would just came to mind first for each of the categories that I just loved. So it was really kind of um, off the cuff. What do I really, really loved about, you know, this season and each of the categories? All right. Well, that I would think that leads to a lot of nostalgia. So we will see. Uh, Chris, how about you? How did you break it down? Well, I just looked at what I really found that impressed me the most for each category and some of them were a bit of a cheat and I was hoping that the answers that I had wouldn't be duplicated, but if they're duplicated, that's fine because (laughs) it just says that we're just on the same wavelength. So that was what I was using for my guidepost on this. Well, a, we, we love cheating and B you never know how it's going to play out if you try to avoid duplicates. So we shall see Kim. How about you? Um, for my prime directive, I, I tried to pick something that was most emblematic of the pick that I was making, whether or not it was the my favorite episode for it. Yep. And I also tried really hard not to pick the same episode twice. So that was going to be my prime directive. But like any good captain, I have to break that once. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. So I normally do that. That's normally the driver of my season picks. I'm going to preview you guys right now. I only pick three episodes out of my five picks, which I never, wow. I never do on these these uh, recap shows because I I usually try to keep it super broad and cover as much ground as I can. But kind of like you, Carlos, I started thinking in that way, and I was like, no, yeah, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. Oh, and there it's related to that. Well, too bad. I'm going to talk about it twice. So I'm not. I'm a little more narrow than I uh, have been previously. And then I'll also preview and say I thought I might be. Like mine's not that nostalgic, right? This for a seat for a season that's really about the reunion of our favorites from TNG. My picks don't necessarily reflect that, so mm. that'll be it'll be interesting. Oh, and of course, I always try to avoid repeats from previous season recap shows. So season one, the season two, I 
I avoided uh, some of the things that I picked there. So Jean-Luc, I'm not picking you again. Okay, I think we're ready to have Third Ramadicon introduce us to the order of things. I am a Jem'Hadar. He is a Vorta. It is the order of things. Thank you, Third Ramadicon. As always, everyone will start with their five-word summary and a hashtag to teach their pick. Then we'll each reveal our Picard Season 3 moment and the reasons we're highlighting it. And of course, when appropriate, everyone will pick an episode to associate with that pick. And after getting through five rounds of picks, we'll then get a few secondary system selections from everyone. And remember, if we have any duplicate picks, there's got to be some duplicates tonight with four of us. Make sure you listen for the Defiant Torpedoes. Okay, Carlos, we're going to start with you. What's your number five pick for your top five Picard season three moments, round five production design element? Okay, so my number five pick, my five words and the hashtag are... Five words, permission to come aboard, Captain. And my hashtag is come fly with me. And the production design element, so I'm a nut for all things kind of Starfleet aesthetic. I just, I love everything to do with Starfleet, particularly Starfleet hardware. So I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit and just pick all of the new like ships that we yeah. got this season. And I'm not necessarily talking about the Star Trek Online ones, the ones that we've seen before. I'm talking about really kind of the new designs that were introduced in Picard Season 3. There was quite a bit of them, but really, obviously talking about the Titan and kind of that Neo-Constitution class, yeah. the Intrepid, and really the 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 Elias, uh, the Phoenix class that that um, Beverly and Jack are on at the beginning. And I just, honestly, I think the designs are gorgeous. They are a beautiful evolution of late 24th century Starfleet design. And I was just really here for it. I love the fact that there were so many like familiar lines and design elements in all of those ships, yet they were all new and different. Um, I love the fact that they were designed, especially the Titan and the Intrepid by Bill Krauss, who is, you know, as many of us know on Twitter, he was just a model maker who was a huge fan of the show. And they got in touch with him because he had been designing his own starships for a long time. And I just, I love that kind of origin story of a lot of these ships. And I was just here for it. And the shuttles look the shuttles looked great. So really all in all, that kind of hardware and ships is just um I I couldn't be happier with what they did in the show. I love it. I love that you mentioned the Elios because that ship is so cool. I mean, how much do you just want to just get in the Elios and just tool around the galaxy? Oh my god. 100%, I love that A hundred percent. And the Bill Krause thing is still like mind blowing that the guy has now he's he he's an enterprise. He's he created an enterprise. It's unbelievable. So cool. Chris, Kim, any thoughts on this one? I'll just chime in and agree with the picks for the ships because especially after the end of the first season when we got the cookie cutter Starfleet ships. Right, right. In the battle. And it uh, just... In Arcadia, you go. Yeah, it just did not work. And it was like, they just did a cut and paste. But season two, and especially season three, you had distinctive looking ships that you could tell were all Starfleet ships just by their design. And it was fantastic. So total agreement here. Yeah, they definitely ran out of time and money at the end of season one on that. Uh, Kim? Yeah, and I, I I think the Titan was a redress of the Stargazer, or was that right. the other way around? Yeah, no, yeah. but... But I didn't think about that during the season. It really became the Titans bridge. And I liked the corridors, even though they only had a few. I liked the sick bay. I thought um, the Elios was neat. Like as they moved around on that ship and had um, all the scenes on there, I was trying to visualize like how it was laid out. And so, so I thought that was a neat set too. That's so cool. Oh, so we almost forgot, almost forgot to get the episode. What do you got, Carlos? 
I, I'm going to go with Imposters episode okay. five just because of that one shot where the 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 intrepid oh, after yeah. after you know what I'm talking about you know road that was so good. Oh, so I mean, incredible. I was talking to a friend of mine. I mean, we've all said this on Twitter and you see it like between the music and the lighting. Like, I mean, that ship looked angry. How they managed to do that yeah, was incredible. Right. The right. ship looked <laughs> angry. And so I just obviously, you know, we have the ships in every single episode, but just for that one shot of the intrepid kind of turning itself back on and coming back up to fight the Titan was just phenomenal. That was definitely an oh crap moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so yeah. good. Definitely was. Okay, Chris, what is your production design element? Okay, this is one of my cheats, but I hope that you'll understand why. <laughs> and my five words are, it's all a bit familiar. And the hashtag is musical gems with deep cuts. And this was related to all the visual and audio callbacks at the Fleet Museum from the episode The Bounty. First of all, it was just great to see all of those ships and the original space dock in high definition. And so what also spoke to me was that the composer for the episode, Stephen Barton, wove many familiar cues from past series and films into that episode just to give each ship that was mentioned directly and some that were not just their moment. Because even in the closing credits for each episode, you saw ships that were mentioned, but we didn't ex- exactly see on screen like we saw the Pioneer and the Excelsior, even though they didn't make an actual appearance on screen directly. And it also paid homage to what's now considered the classic era of Trek with naughty, excuse me, nods to the audience as well. And for me, the highlight was the excerpt of the Star Trek IV score by Leonard Rosenman when he saw the bounty itself. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. I never thought I would hear this again. And there it was, it was like, da 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 oh my God. <laughs> so good. I just, so good. I just freaked out. And seeing Voyager again, the Enterprise A, it was just like, holy crap. This is just a moment that this is a true love letter to the fans as well as everyone who's followed Star Trek up to this point in time. It was just great. And this is one of the best cheats ever because you're basically picking the visuals and the music cues that went along with them, which is so great. So we could talk about uh, Stephen Barton and the work he did. Uh, Incredible. When When you actually realize that the ship this episode's called the bounty because they're going to the hms bounty and gonna steal a cloak mind-blowing the scene with uh, seven talking about voyager mind-blowing all those ships i was so happy to hear the voyager theme a couple of times this season it's like <laughs> oh this is just such a wonderful little like callback is it yes we're here for picard and so that means most of the next generation characters and stuff but it was just like oh this is great and i also i had read at first i think that the episode was going to be called bounty so i assumed that it was about vatic chasing jack right as a bounty because right. she was bounty hunter it was like oh my gosh they mean the actual ship and yeah. so yeah the musical cues going along with all the visuals was just wonderful yeah, i was the same a hundred percent and i think the the voyager also voyager has never looked so beautiful 
that no. the like the hero shot of what Voyager is just on the on the Titans view screen. And and as Kim said, you know, the music playing and seven speech, like it just like it was fan service and it was nostalgia turned to a thousand, but done so beautifully. I, I was just it might be one of my well, it's definitely one of my top five favorite moments from the entire series from the entire season. And that's I think that's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. For sure, for uh, incredible. I mean, what a this is an awesome pick, Chris. Such a great, great way to tie in Stephen Barton in case nobody else picks him. Okay, Kim, what is your production design choice? This is amazing. Okay, so um, for production design, my five words are saving the Federation in style. Hashtag the jackets are a vibe, <laughs> and my pick is the jackets that were designed by uh, Michael Crow all season. There were multiple variations of them, and I thought they all looked really cool and on point. We started off, I think, in the beginning. Jack Crusher kind of had his like leather suede, oh uh, yeah, right, jacket, the too. brown one, kind of looked Han Solo-ish. I mean, he's supposed to be like all roguey, um, and and that was a cool look. Uh, Beverly had the Wrath of Khan style jacket, right, with the wide uh, lapel that was a little bit textured. And so that seemed very throwback. And then the main jacket that got introduced was the leather jackets, the field jackets that everybody everybody adopted by the middle of it. And so the episode that I picked was Dominion, which is not my favorite episode of the season, but that's when um, Shaw and Jordy and... Um, seven you know then they all started to to get the action jackets and i just thought the contrast to like what picard had in season five and six and seven in next gen when it was just such a weird yeah little like costume element like these these are great and i i thought they looked really cool so that's my pick such a good pick and picking dominion is brilliant because that is all of a sudden like they all have them which yeah. you know when you see metallus talk about terry metallus the showrunner talk about some of the behind the scenes, they just kind of realized as they were going, oh, yeah, everybody wants these. These are great. Everybody should have, should be wearing these. They're so good. I like the way Rafi, Rafi, the one Rafi, I was going to say. So good. So good. Ra- and Rafi's look of the leather jacket and also like the gun holster around, you know, oh, but it's yeah. like, it's like, it's like the cowboy like style where it, where it has the strap around the thigh. You know what I'm talking about? Like it, yep. she just looked, they all looked great, but I think Rafi in particular uh, just pulled off. She has the swagger and like the holster. She just looked fabulous. It was definitely a good look for her. Yeah, yeah, correct. Absolutely. She looked just the silhouette too. It was just a great look and something that we hadn't really seen in a Star Trek episode before, but it worked. I liked also how the rank pips were vertical. I thought it was a, it is such like a nice little change on you know TNG rank pips, and I just I I, I loved them. Yeah. Perfect. Well, awesome pick because it was just such a such a staple of the season. Those jackets it really stood out. I love that we are covering a lot of ground here. This is awesome. Okay, for my production design pick, I'm going pretty narrow, similar to your pick, Carlos. I'm actually picking. Well, well, let me do my five words and a hashtag. Dipshit from Chicago. Hot wires nacelles. Hashtag. Good call. And it's the Titans nacelles just opening up at the conclusion of this no win scenario setup. And I mean, my pick's really the Titan, you know, I mean, I thought someone else might pick it. It's just amazing. Incredible ship. I loved it from the get go, but I really wanted to highlight this moment because this is when I fell in love with the ship. 
I love that from the beginning, but in no one scenario when they've talked about it being kind of a little bit more of an old school heavy lift kind of freighter type of ship. And when they're talking about they need to catch the wave of this energy out of the nebula, but only if you know you get some old school jury rigging of the nacelles behind the Grease Monkey Captain Shaw. Normally in this kind of thing in Star Trek, it's some techno babble, push a few buttons, visual effects light up and you fixed it and you're all set to go. But when he's working on it, and and by the way, in the midst of all this changing reveal and all the drama between Seven and Shaw, and everyone's assuming they're going to die. And then when he's done with the reconfiguration and they actually show the nacelles opening up Mm. and you can actually see them capturing energy and channeling it to the warp core. And you can picture all this in your your head as a workaround from the the Bassar collectors. I was just absolutely floored by that moment at the end of a epic episode the visual effects are incredible once it does catch the wave and you know just beyond the general awesomeness of the titan aka the enterprise g i just love how cool then the cells opening up and the and the design elements that went into that from this uh, production team carlos what's your take oh my god i completely agree and it was also that the entire sequence that you that you're referring to leading up to the nacelles opening up the tension the music the changeling the you know it was just it was just wonderful and i mean i i, I highlighted i highlighted kind of starfleet new starfleet hardware and ships yeah. and obviously the titan is front and center in terms of my pick as well so it's it's a great pick and it's a great ship uh, i will i will shout out that my one of my favorite details of the ship are the impulse engines because they look right. so stacked in compared to like the very thin nacelle and it just works beautifully so i'm here for the engine all the engines on, on the titan gym <laughs> love it and uh so my episode is obviously no win scenario i don't think i actually said that chris what's your take on this well first of all I can't wait for the Hallmark ornament of the Titan slash Enterprise <laughs> G to come out. Seriously. And second, just the fact, like you were saying, Jim, that the there was a more tangible feel for not only when Shaw was actually doing the work to open up the nacelles, but also just to see the nacelles open up too, because in past treks, you would have just seen like a quick visual yeah. of, of like stock footage from a model or a <laughs> yeah. CG version a new lighting of the energy just going in. But just seeing the nacelles open up, that was like a very cool moment. So yeah, totally. I, I liked it too. Um, this will probably come up a few times today, but there were, there were a lot of Star Wars vibes that are and echoes that came up throughout the season. And I think this was one of them in terms of it being like mechanical, right? Like, like Han repairing the Falcon. Right. He, he had to get down and on his, on the roller things. He had not even like repair cars or anything. So I don't know what he's doing, but like getting in They're there. called creepers. Creepers. Okay. Mechanics, they use these creepers to slide on. To manually just hack this thing yeah. and, and make it physically come out. But and it's a great effect. It's a cool scene. Um, it makes me think of like separating the saucer, you know, like we actually have to do something like physical with the ship that's not just punching buttons on a control panel uh so great pick i like that one i like that that's a good shot i never would have made that connection to uh to the millennium falcon that's cool okay round four here we go who carlos is your round four pick for your creative or behind the scenes talent or actor all right this one was a tough one i think this was the toughest one for me actually um, my five words are computer, 
Initiate systems reactivation procedures. Hashtag, I'll be there for you. And this is a major cheat for me, but it's, you know, anything goes, right, Jim? I'm going to pick for my creative person the fact that Dave Blass, as in the the production designer for Star Trek Picard seasons two and three, brought back what I consider to be kind of the Avengers of behind the scenes Star Trek. And I think for so for my pick for creative person, it's just really going to be this like the pool of old school Berman era behind the scenes talent that he brought back to make Picard seasons two and three, particularly season three, feel like an evolution of Berman era Trek. And so it's the fact that he brought back Mike and Dennis Okuda, Matt Curry, Jim Martin, Doug Drexler, kind of all of those guys and gals um, to come back and work on the show and make it look the way it is. And I just couldn't pick one. So I just thought, you know, Dave assembled the Avengers and it shows on the screen. Awesome. And I really feel like they didn't need to go as hard as they did. And they just brought it and they brought it hard. And they just, you can see the love, the passion, the hard work is on the screen. And obviously, you know, there's a whole lot of other people that, that worked on the show, but just the fact that it was those people that I grew up, because I, what my only thing, the only thing that I love more than Star Trek is behind the scenes Star Trek. And so like, I, I you know, I grew up loving and reading every behind the scenes book that I could find. So people like Mike and Denise Akuda are just yeah. all of those people I idolized. So the fact that they're all back just to me was a, a thing of beauty. And they did, again, they didn't need to go as hard as they did, but they did. Um, and so my episode is going to be the very first one, the next generation. Okay. I know that's a great way to frame it because they're like Avengers, the Avengers assembled from Dave Blass's perspective of uh, correct creative. Such a great way to frame it. Chris, what's your take? Well, I agree. And I got the same pick here and let's fire the torpedo. <laughs> I love it. So you have the same behind the scenes kind of group. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, what's your, uh, okay. So my five words are the enterprise never looked better. And the hashtag is the design is the thing. And the pick is Dave Blass as production designer, but I'm going to choose Vox for this. Okay. And like you were saying, Carlos, the creative team of this season of Picard were bona fide Star Trek nerds, but they took it to the next level. And Dave Blast especially took it to the next level by bring, bringing back the Okudas, Dan Curry, Doug Drexler. And it just made such a difference with them consulting because it really extended what we saw in the Berman era Trek to the next century, as it were, especially in terms of both the 21st century for us and the 25th century for the show itself. And what got me the most were the L cars displays were just so beautifully updated. <laughs> and the moment that really just got me was when the crew arrives on the bridge of the Enterprise D and the way the displays came on. I mean, it was they just move the way the displays move from left to right, which was something that we could never have seen back when Next Generation was on the air. It was just beautiful. It was familiar, but it was new and it was just gorgeous. And it was a welcome return to see the band come coming back together because, as Gene Roddenberry himself said, the Enterprise herself is also a main character. So just having the crew back where they belong. And I'm trying not to, I feel like I'm going to cry here, but I'm trying not <laughs> <Me> to. <too. laughs> 
<laughs> even the similar shots that were used, the camera angles right. that were used, they were just all just loving homages. And that was how you do a callback the right way. And Day Blast just, I mean, he gets all the flowers for his efforts and just bringing back so many legends from the Berman era to make this work. It was just wonderful. Amazing. I'm going to highlight two things. I love you said the camera angles because that when they first come on the bridge, it's like the same shot from Encounter at Farpoint when they introduce the bridge. Super cool. And I'm glad you said Dan, Dan Curry. I forgot about Dan Curry and the, the yeah. Curlith. The Curlith was like the yeah. coolest new toy for Wharf. Uh, Kim, what's your take? This is amazing. I love this uh, duplicate. I love the way that you phrase it as it's it's familiar but updated, like the evolution of what the design should look like 20 years in the future from TNG. Because like there's been so much criticism of, oh, it's just nostalgia. And I'm like, look, we like these things for a reason. <laughs> and there's something really nice about seeing the familiarity of the Elkar's displays and the fonts even. And, and it's comforting, but it, it does feel updated. Right. For this season and the fact that it's the Akutas. And I thought Dave blessed an amazing job with this team. Yeah. The one of the things I love most about the alias uh at in in the first in the first two episodes of the season are the fact that that is an older ship. So it's more akin to the you know the type of shit that we was in 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 on TNG or DS9. And the just the L cars on that, the displays, everything just looked beautiful. So good. <laughs> really, they really popped. Uh, L, the missing the L cars too, just Popped everywhere. Amazing. Okay, Kim, let's go to your pick for creative. What What do you got? All right. Um, my five words are, you've just killed us all. And the hashtag is, feel free to call me captain. Oh, no. <laughs> my creative is uh, Jonathan Frakes. Fantastic. For acting and directing because he's incredible. And I, more than anyone else on this season, uh, Riker made me tear up multiple times. Yep. Uh, the way that he goes from, I mean, like he's, he's joking. He's kind of his normal self in the beginning. Like he's, he's happy to see Picard and stuff, but there's that like just a sadness in him. And you see him get to just his absolute low point um, in no win scenario and, and just despair over having like lost his son and feeling cut off from Deanna. It just needs to find like who he is again. And the way he conveys that again just brought me to tears multiple times um, this season. It his and, and when he reconnects with Deanna when they're on the strike, um, the way he you know says good tries to say goodbye at the end, uh, all of that was good. But in the meantime, he's still just he's he's Riker. He's he's brave. He takes command again of the Titan, no problem. He's brave. He volunteers for the away missions. He, he does what he needs to do. It's it, I was just so impressed by him. I think he was always great and a little bit underrated as an actor. Yeah. Um, you think about things like the Pegasus or or um Best of Both Worlds. And he's pretty well recognized, I think, as a really great director. Uh he did a lot of my favorite episodes like Offspring, the Offspring and Cause and Effect and Attached. But this was just an incredible season for him. So the episode I picked was 17 seconds. Perfect. And I think um, the direction was great all around. I, in particular, I would highlight the the big discussion with um, Picard and Crusher, where they start off like three bio beds apart, and then little by little throughout that scene, they come until they're right next to each other, and that physical like change 
you know, reflects what, how their conversation is going. And then, but he also has to direct the the battle on the bridge and Shaw's injury. And then the whole last scene of the 17 seconds and the turbo lift and Beverly trying to resuscitate Jack. It's, it's just, it's beautifully shot episode. Um, and then he does an incredible acting right. in it yeah. as well. <laughs> he has to direct I, his own despair because that his despair yeah. in that episode is unbelievable. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, it's okay. And 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 I just love too. Like he's so happy that Picard has a son. Like he's just grinning right. yeah. when Jack is pacing so in the good. corridor and stuff. Like he's just thrilled. He's like, oh, it's like I always wanted those two to get together, and and this is great news. Can you please stop looking at me like that? Like what? Like I'm the outcome of some science experiment. I'm oh, sorry to tell you, kid, but you are. I spent two decades in a spaceship watching you get cooked up before you were born. It was subtle at first, but that resemblance to your dad. No, no, please don't. He is not dad. He is one of the finest men I've ever known. Is he? Let's just say that in my time in this universe, I've always found one thing to be true. The bigger the legend, the more disappointing the reality. We're all faulty, just human. But it really hurts him that Picard is so dismissive uh, because he's he's understandably upset and angry and stuff, but but dismissive of Jack. And he's like, you have to take this opportunity. You're like, you don't know what chances you're going to have. He's like, I lost my son. And you just feel that as a gut punch. So I, I'm just going to highlight John for breaks. Love him. And I'm so happy for his arc this season. Fantastic pick. Because especially 17 seconds where he does both. And, you know, they had to reshuffle the, the schedule. So he wasn't supposed to direct those episodes. And they asked oh, really? to do it. Yeah, they had to move him Ooh. up in this in this calendar. And they're like, you know, it's a heavy lift because you're, you're, you're at the core of these episodes. And man, did he ever pull it off with that and no win scenario. Incredible. His Riker's despair, or I should say Frakes' acting in those scenes is uh, impeccable. Carlos. But also, complete, I completely agree. I, I love Commander Riker. I love Frakes. And it just also, like, he just seemed to be having a ball, like, like completely on all behind-the-scenes stuff. He's, like, laughing the hardest. He was there in, like, you know, I, I, I read something that he, like, ran over as soon as the, the, the bridge was, uh, the, the Enterprise-D bridge was uh, was done. And he, like, crashed several... Um, uh, photo shoots and then he like got into a bunch of them because he was just so excited to be there it just seems like he was having a ball and it just really you know it, it, it his enthusiasm and energy uh for all things star trek is so infectious and you see it in the way he directs and you really see it in his in his acting he he's never been better ever jonathan frakes was just amazing it was like he just came back into the role of Riker as though he had never left since nemesis which was well over 20 years ago in relative time but he just delivered such a range of emotions that we never really got to see in Riker before because even in the Penthe, you kind of it was hinted about what Riker was experiencing, but you didn't really see or feel those emotions until this season. And with 17 seconds, like you were saying, Kimberly, he just delivered in so many ways about who Riker was 
after not only his time with Picard on the Enterprise, but after the death of his son. And I mean, it just the pain and the desire to see Picard not fall into the same level of despair that he did was just amazing to watch. It's just the stopping and starting of him recording that message to Deanna and then his final message at the end. So powerful, incredible. Okay, let's keep going. We'll close out uh, creative the round four with my pick. And we are going to have incredibly eight episodes covered after eight picks, which is truly unbelievable. I did not think that was going to happen, especially with me kind of doubling up on some. So five words and a hashtag freedom, not to be dead hashtag at worst. I'm a thief. And my pick is, I didn't really didn't think I was going to go here, but it's Ed Spilliers as Jack Crusher, this actor, Holy crap. He is incredible. And you needed a performance at this level to play against people like Gates McFadden and Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes. And I just, I was blown away by this character because you have to, has to establish himself as kind of this, not, I don't want to say unlikable, but like charming rogue that's going to double cross you, but you had to kind of like him and you had to empathize with him a little bit, but he's still, kind of a vagabond and on his own he's bribing Fenris Rangers with with weapons so that he can do good things you know he's got loyalty to his mother it's it just the, the the whole thing his transformation through the season was really 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 impressive all the way to Vox and all the way to that incredible reveal of him as <laughs> actually the son of Lacutus in uh, the last generation it just blew me away and I I really like I really like, I picked Disengage because the scene, the first scene between him and uh, Picard is unbelievable. That is a masterclass in acting on both sides. And the fact that this guy pulled that off and, uh, and did it with Patrick Stewart to, to literally be the, be the guy to say, you know, with a, who is your father? I never had one. And also to point at Beverly and say, who do you think taught me all this? The things you're criticizing for me for, I learned from my mother and you don't know anything about her the last 20 years. But we both know that Beverly would never permit this. Who do you think taught me all this? When she's not behind me kicking my ass, she's right beside me. Equal partners trying to do some good in a goodless, imperfect universe. That's how I know you're lying. But because you know her so well. When was the last time you even spoke to my mother? Ask yourself. Is there anybody you know who is still the person you knew? Or have you planted roots in your vineyard while everybody else moved on? Who is your father? I never had one! Incredible. Absolutely pulled it off. Love this actor. I'm a little worried that if we do ever get some more Star Trek, this guy's not going to be available. (laughs) Hell, he could be the next James Bond or something. For all I know, this guy is really good. I think people are going to be figuring that out pretty quick. Look... If handing me over to Vadik buys my mother a future, then so be it. Especially if it puts an end to this conversation. Uh, Kim, I heard you laughing. What's your take? I, I've got to save a little bit of, of what I want to say on this. Um, 
I completely agree with you. I'm just absolutely blown away by this actor. I I don't know. I, I, there was a lot of criticism. I mean, ridiculous internet criticism right. at the beginning. They're like, well, he's so much older than the character. And I'm like, look, <laughs> just he's acting. That's the important. Like he's acting. And he, and he managed to pull off acting like he was younger. He did seem like a young Picard. He also seemed like a mix uh, of them. And, and so for the actor to pull off all the emotions that he did this season and uh, again, and and not only against like Patrick Stewart, John Frakes, uh, Gates McFadden, like you said, also Amanda Plummer. That was pretty incredible. Oh yeah. He had to go against her too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, surrender. So good. So yeah. yeah so no, I, I, I think he's a, I was, I had never heard of him before and I thought he was an incredible actor. Yep. It's funny because the moment my, my wife has not seen it yet. Um, and I'm going to rewatch the season with her. And Jim knows that my wife is the the <laughs> the biggest non Trekkie that knows she knows so much about Star Trek. It's actually hilarious, right? Um, just because we've been together for so so long, and um, and you know she 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 was she walked by me watching an episode or rewatching an episode, and she goes, "Oh, isn't that the guy from Downton Abbey?" And in truth, right, he was right. like, you know, he used to be in Downton Abbey when you know we we live in the UK, so obviously like he was everywhere during that season. So she immediately was like, "I was like, oh yeah, he was in Downton Abbey." But um, but I think I think the thing I loved most about him is that he had that like vagabond kind of swagger that just really worked. Like he wasn't he wasn't a dickhead, and but he was just like he just had that little bit of like on solo ruggish roguish charm, yep. and he just pulled it off. And I agree with you; he's a great actor. He went against everybody, but his kind of swagger. Um, you know, it wasn't too much. It wasn't too little. It was just the right amount. I just, uh, you know, you really warmed him immediately. And it's exactly that point because you have to get, you have to get the balance of that just right. Correct. So that you, so that you can play every side of it and people don't dislike you. So, uh, and, and that they believe you, uh, Chris. Just the way that Jack Crusher and Espaliers held his own on screen was absolutely commendable because he did so much with the 10 episodes that he was in that it almost felt like he was a part of the larger story from 1987 forwards almost. It was like he was there, but he but we just met him for the first time and his performance was outstanding and given the caliber of actors and story that he was given he really held his own and just made the part his own that's exactly why he was so good he felt felt like he'd been there the whole time incredible okay i'm excited about the dabo round let's do it round three (laughs) carlos what do you got all right so I did say that my last one was the hardest, uh, but I think maybe this one was the hardest because I had like literally 47 different things that I could think of, right? And this is what happens when you don't give me structure, Jim. But I did pick one. So here we go. Five words. One to be up, Enterprise, and hashtag fly away. And it is the weaponizing the transporters. So oh, cool. let, me, let, let, yeah. let me go back to something. So I, when I was... A kid, I used to think all the time, and I remember this vividly, 
that why don't they use the transporters as like a weapon, like beaming things that can explode? And I remember vividly, vividly watching Dark Frontier when it first came out and them beaming the the, the torpedo on top of like the Borg ship, right? right? And then blowing up. And I just thought, why don't they do that more often, right? And and so I've always in the back of our mind have always thought of like, why aren't you know why hasn't someone figured out like i used to think about like a transporter virus like it put a virus in the transporters and then all of a sudden everybody that goes to transporter gets that virus so that was something that was kind of always in the back of my mind and then i know why i mean there we go okay (laughs) again i've been called worse today and so here we are right and the fact that the borg kind of weaponized the transporters, which is something that we've never really seen in Trek. And like, you know, we said at the beginning, you you said it, Jim, 56 years of Trek. There's very few things that are kind of new with the old tech, like with the warp drive or whatever, you know, the holodeck. There's always permutations, sure. But a lot of things have already been done. And this really hadn't been done. And I just loved it, right? I also loved the fact, speaking of Dark Frontier, that the Borg Queen tells Seven about her plan to assimilate Earth with a virus. And they have this conversation about how long it will take. And she basically says, we've waited so long, a gradual assimilation might just be the way to do it. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing and paraphrasing it poorly. But there was this, this wonderful exchange between the Borg Queen and Seven. And I would like, you know, everybody that's listening to this, like, Obviously, go check it out on YouTube. But there is this conversation where the Borg Queen basically says to Seven, you know, we'll, 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 we're going to create an assimilation virus that will take years, but that's the way we're going to assimilate humanity. And by the way, people, don't go watch oh, it on YouTube. Oh, oh, go load up Paramount Plus right now and watch oh, yeah. Dark Frontier again, because that's what I'm going to do. Fair Sorry. enough. Fair enough. So the fact that that was like in there in like in 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 trek lore but they weaponized the transporters i just thought it was freaking awesome and the idea of weaponizing the transporters i'm I'm rambling now so i'll stop it's just my daba rock okay what that what episode that's a fantastic pick box 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 because i think that's when they kind of figure it out isn't it yep perfect okay i love this uh chris and kim what do you think well agreed about the virus that was used with the transports as a delivery mechanism because again like you were saying carlos that's something that we had not really seen in trek before it was hinted at in dark frontier but we really didn't see the actual harvest of that idea until now and it also showed an element of evolution because it was like sometimes the board can be like the daleks and doctor who like oh well it's the dogs again big whoop but this time the board did emerge as a viable threat again going back to Q-Who when it was like, oh my gosh, how are they going to stop this force of unbeatable bionic zombies, to borrow a phrase from Lily Sloan. But when you have this type of assimilation that isn't a direct assault, that made it much more menacing. So it was a very good change in what we knew about what the Borg was supposed to be about. And I, I do think like the just the weaponizing of the transporters, like, yes, it is creepy, it is menacing, and it really was um previewed early on by 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 Jack's vision of all the vines, like people beaming on oh, and off, yeah. and then Rose paranoia, and you're oh, like, oh right. shoot, like maybe it is right to be afraid of the transporters. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm glad they followed up on that later and had Beverly figure out how that worked. Yeah. That's amazing. 
Okay, awesome. Chris, how about you? What's your Dabba round pick? Okay, my five words are major dangling plot line finally resolved. And the hashtag is talk about closure. And my pick is Ro Laren's return to the franchise in Imposters. Oh, fantastic pick. The question about what happened to Ro was one of the biggest mysteries in Star Trek since 1994 because it had been expanded on in beta canon through the novels to an extent. But there was still that question, what happened to Ro Laren after she Right. beamed away from the shuttlecraft to join the Maquis because as we saw in Voyager later, once the Cardassians aligned with the Dominion, they wiped out most of the Maquis. But I always held out hope that Roe would have been far too clever to have had that kind of fate. And just seeing Michelle Forbes as Roe, who has started the trend of recurring characters who were in some ways the true outsiders compared to the core cast of a Star Trek series, whereas they didn't quite fit, but they were still amazing to watch in their own way and she really just started a lot of that trend where there were so many characters who came along that made an impact within the greater story and I wanted to highlight the scene in the holotech version of 10 Forward Avenue between Patrick Stewart and Michelle Forbes because as has been said about master classes in acting this one was just one of the most intense moments of any star trek series because of that history that they had between each other as characters and their relationship just made it so personal and visceral because both characters were hurting and you could tell that the hurt was coming out in those performances even though they had not had the chance to interact before then but it all came back and it's all it really felt like a real world kind of encounter with someone who you hadn't seen for years, but there was still a little bit of beef between you. And it was just a beautiful scene of just the tension between those characters. And then, moreover, was Roe actually a changeling? It turned out that she wasn't, but it was just the, just the, those moments that left you guessing until they until Roe lo, lowered her phaser. And she was the one who lay, lowered her phaser first, yeah. which was an awesome moment. And the only regret that I had was that there were no scenes with Roe like one-on-one between either Riker or Seven because I just wanted to see those characters come face-to-face. But for what we had, it was just a great moment of seeing Michelle Forbes come back to the franchise and just give a performance that was so impactful in the story. I I love this pick because so Imposters is unbelievable. I haven't finished my rankings yet, but it's probably going to finish like four or five for me, which which is just shows you how great this season is. And I'm going to quickly uh, jump ahead here, Kim. So we're going to come back to you a second because I had the exact same pick for my Dabo round because I wanted to highlight this whole episode and Ro Laren. So five words and a hashtag. Get your bullshit stories straight. Hashtag. I do see you everything. And yeah, it's this whole episode. It's Ro Laren. It's everything you just talked about, Chris. Exactly. Almost word for word with my thinking on this it, to, to see them how clever is it to first of all you get to see this continuation of preemptive strike that everybody kind of wanted but you really deep down thought okay we're never gonna see a follow-up to that incredible story and the incredible relationship between those two characters and then all of a sudden you realize oh we we are getting it we're getting it and then when they set it up 
as the drama and with the changelings and that they're going to be arguing and becoming really discussing their raw betrayal uh, to each other while also questioning is the other person a changeling are you a changeling no are you a changeling no obviously we're not changelings because of the level of pain that we are both feeling in this moment about our shattered relationship and the fact that they're able to get back to a good place in that setup and that structure amid all the changeling infiltration drama is a masterpiece of storytelling and i love it incredible uh carlos what's your take on this one I mean, I couldn't agree more, right? Uh, Ro is one of my all-time favorite characters in all of Star Trek. Um, I remember Terry Metalis like a year ago putting out some tweet being like, if I could, if we, you know, what character, what what returning yeah. um, cast member would you like to see? And I immediately tweeted Ro. Like I was just, I was, I was, I wanted Ro so badly. And I remember seeing the scene when she's like walk, you know, like the camera follows her from the back. You don't know who it is. And for a second, you're like, is it Janeway? Like, who is it? Blah, blah, blah. And then the moment it turns and it's her, I think I, I think I screamed. Like, I genuinely think right. I like, like a pure, like geeky delight. Right. <laughs> and and Same. I just absolutely loved this episode, everything about this episode. Um, I love the character of Ro, that scene where they're just pointing the phasers and like the love and admiration that kind of Ro has for Picard and Picard has for Ro that's just under the surface and but neither of them wants to admit it or let it boil uh. over. It's just, but they so can't pretty. too because they of the can't. They can't part too, and they don't exactly. know who's who and what's what. It's incredible. It's perfect. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I don't remember if it was you, Jim, or, or you know who said the masterclass in acting. But that to me is, yeah. you know, it, that to me uh, for an entire season of amazing moments, that is up there with one of the most amazing moments. Yeah, Kim, I couldn't believe they got Michelle Forbes back. I was like, right. oh my gosh, yeah. oh my gosh, they did it. This I, it was so great. At preemptive strike is not my favorite, but it's it's a really good episode right. and the fact that we never did know what happened to row you're like did she get wiped out with the maquis like what happened it would i would have the only thing i would have liked to see was maybe something a tiny bit more with Riker, but yeah. the history and and everything that comes out in their talk and their discussion and the way that you know she passes the earring to him and it's like oh he had just been giving her a hard time about that before and it's like oh actually no that was the most meaningful thing that she was going to pass along to him so that he could carry on what she had searched for it was so powerful and also her being Worf's handler just so good so good and the fact that it plays into the whole season where now oh she's actually been in the season up till now because she's Worf's handler incredible and the other thing was they kept it managed to remain a secret until literally the episode actually aired yeah such a great secret they did such a good job imposters worthy of a double dabo round shout out kim sorry i skipped you what is your dabo round pick close us out no worries at all um my uh five words are soap opera trope actually works hashtag <laughs> trust no one and my dabo pick is the return of beverly crusher and gates mcfadden brilliant I, um, I knew exactly what it was from your hashtag. You <laughs> <from your> because <five-word. laughs> it was a soap opera trope and it worked. What the heck? I mean, coming back with a, a secret son that he never told anybody about. I was yeah. like, are you kidding me? This exactly. is going to like destroy the character. And somehow they made this work. I, I was so happy that she came back because and she was just completely sidelined in all four of the movies. And, and then her name wasn't even 
you know, there was no name drop in the first two seasons of Picard. And that just didn't make any sense at all, because even though there are a lot of people that don't like the character that much or just thought she was boring or not that not that great, she was always important to Picard. And so it never made sense that that she wasn't there. And if you know, you kind of have a situation where you're like, okay, we have to come up with an explanation of, for that and how are we going to do it? And and this was it. And to do it and have it actually make sense. And you buy it in that really intense arg- discussion with Picard and Crusher and Sickbay when she, it, it may have been the wrong decision to never have told him that, he, that they had a son, but you understood her fear and the kind of the panicked reaction and stuff that she had to it and why she felt like she had to protect Jack, because she didn't know if she could protect the son of Jean-Luc Picard. And she was right that he would have been a target, right? I mean, in the end, it doesn't mean that she shouldn't have told him, but it made her rationale understandable, I think, sympathetic. And it was so great to see her come back and do some justice to the character where her arc was actually going to be meaningful to the entire season of the show. And I think she pulled it off. And you got to see her being a really good doctor she got to do a lot of science. Um, she was doing alien autopsies on the changeling. She figured out their physiology. She's working with Jordy and Data. Um, she figured out like what was wrong with Shaw. And so this is my episode yeah. pick. What was a repeat one? I had to pick 17 seconds for her, also um, yeah. because she's using like frontier medicine. Right? <laughs> when Doctor Oak doesn't know what's wrong with him, and she's like, "No, I recognize exactly what's going on." She diagnoses him and she fixes him and. Um, She's taking care of people like right after she's just gone through a big trauma and gotten up out of surgery and stuff, but everything's going on in the Titans. So she's still taking care of other crew members. And then she has to save her own son's life at the end of the episode too. And I think there is a lot of depth. There's some low moments too, but you get a really fully realized character this season and see why she should never have been away in the first place. I'm so glad Gates McFadden got this opportunity. I was really happy to see Beverly back. Nailed it. I could not agree more. And I'll just say, you, I love the word depth because they just gave her so much depth in this season. And uh, two two things stand out for me. Really, the beginning and the end, now that I think about it, when she is defending the Elios and has one of the intruders down and just kills kills them without, without even hesitating, she disintegrates them with her phaser. I'm like, okay, this is not the same Beverly Crusher, right? So it was a real good scene set for everything you're going to see after that for this character because Beverly in TNG would not have just arbitrarily, she would have stunned them or tried to keep them alive. And then the ending when, you know, because the whole, every episode, it was always a thing like, man, am I, I, I'm buying it. I, I see where they're going and I'm in that, you know, but it was still hard to kind of cope with her decision to do that and cut everybody out and just how that was framed. But that uh, by the end, when Picard says you did everything right, you protected Jack, you put him first. That's that's was your prerogative to do that. And I support it. And I love that moment so that she's a mother that can make the decision that she wants. It's best for her and forget about all that other uh, things that people might say about it. So, and that, that's it. the only time in the, in the, in the season that she cried. Yeah, like well, the whole time she was just retreating yeah. into herself and and never accepted like much comfort at all. But when he said you did everything right, that's when she broke yeah. down. Amazing. You thought of Jack from the beginning, shielding him from danger. You did everything right. 
Beverly Crusher really got her due in this entire season because like you were saying Kimberly there was so much that with she was basically sidelined for the films and she didn't have much to really do except provide like exposition and so forth but this was the season where you saw how 20 years can have such an impact on a person as well as the character because from the get-go Beverly Crusher is still a doctor but she's not afraid to fire phaser and seeing her really take charge to defend herself and her son from the beginning in the next generation to just everything that she did in 17 seconds and the contributions that she made for advancing the overall story it really brought her into a more central role in the plot and her relationships with all the character other characters was just outlined perfectly and it just made her the character that she was always capable of being if they had given her more of the opportunity before so fantastic and and got it here uh carlos yeah, I mean, I agree with everything we've said, and and you know, Gates. I'm sh- I'm sure a lot of people listening, list, you know, listening have seen her, seen her, or met her at conventions and things. And she's lovely, and she's wonderful, and I'm so glad that she was kind of really, especially in the first few episodes, so front and center. Um, because as everyone has said, you know, this is she's finally getting her due. She was always, I mean, so sidelined, particularly in the films, and it's wonderful to have her front and center. A lot's happened in the last 20 years. Well, just add one thing that, that the edit, the added depth to this now is that according to Terry Metalis, we can retcon that Picard and Crusher were in a relationship during the entire 10 years of that post all good things up to Nemesis time period. Now it was just in between the movies. That makes sense. Uh, okay. Let's go to round two. I'm dying to hear everyone's favorite characters. Carlos, where are you starting with? All right. So my favorite character, five words, we are all going to die. Hashtag secret agent man. And I am going to go with Worf. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Michael Dorn we were, we, I said that Jonathan Frakes looked like he was having a ball. Michael Dorn was definitely having a ball. Oh, my God. It, it, like, he was so light on his feet with Worf. It was like, I mean, it's like he just had continued to play Worf for all of these years. I told you to stay back. It is not in my nature to stay back. Also, you look conspicuous in that hood. It says the Klingon in warrior gear. It's not warrior gear. It is casual. Seriously, where do you wear that? To a Tuesday beheading? Well, he was so good. He was so confident that he just, you know, he was just Worf again, but Worf at a completely different point in his life. And I totally bought the fact that Worf would, you know, go on to be after being an, an ambassador and then serving on the E and whatever, that he would go on to be a you know some kind of monk for a while but still wanting to have a a foot in starfleet so being an independent contractor slash secret agent that smells like lilac i just i loved it (laughs) i loved everything about it i just thought he was amazing superb and he had a ball i probably would have picked more if we hadn't just done an entire show about wharf he's um, 
incredible. Michael Dorn is amazing bringing Worf back. Everything. My favorite thing about the character was the relationship with Rafi. And just the fact that he calls her Raffaella and the amount of respect that he immediately shows her because he sees what a warrior she is and just what a capable person she is and what an ally she is. So awesome. Brilliant teaming of those two together. Uh, Just incredible. Uh, Chris, what's your thing? Worf was just phenomenal this season and just having the chance to catch up with him again and see the kind of person that he was was just amazing and it also harkened back to a comment that Guinan had made back in yesterday's Enterprise that she had heard Klingons laugh but not Worf but Worf was hilarious (laughs) he didn't exactly laugh but his dialogue was just some of the it was just one of those moments that could really break the tension in the of a scene but make it great for that break because all of a sudden he would just say something like really out of left field and it just really worked and just the interplay that he had with Riker and the double act with Rafi was just perfect it was a very good pick I love how he said Rafaela too <laughs> beheadings are on Wednesdays yeah so such a great such an impact what I mean just Phenomenal. And the joke, so my, one of my favorite moments, I could have picked it as a double round moment, was when Jordy says, Well, you know, and we obviously the E wasn't available to us, and they all look at war. <laughs> that was not my fault. Yeah. Genius, genius joke. Okay, Chris, who's your character? Oh, wait, we didn't get the episode. We didn't no, get the episode. I'm, yes, Carlos. We keep oh, people I, out there. This is why people stay with, tuned in. It's, it's very true. It's just for me to say, let's go with 17 seconds, because that we haven't heard that it, one yet. It's the third time it's been picked, so you need to start listening. <laughs> okay. oh, never mind. Never mind. Here we go, Chris. What do you got? <laughs> okay, so my five words are, somebody need a grease monkey, and the hashtag is Dipwad from Chicago. I'm not... I can't you're, bring myself to say you're too the other good, word, too but good person, Chris. He's a he's a dipwad. Yeah, I like a, it. That's a good that's a good adjustment. Yeah, I'm gonna you know what I'm yeah, gonna do, keep, Chris. I'm gonna beep it anyway so that people think you swore. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And my pick is Todd Stashwick as Captain Leon Shaw. And I'm choosing no win scenario for this effort, the episode in, in particular. And I'm just going to be upfront. I didn't like Shaw at first because the way he treated Riker and Picard and Seven in The Next Generation was just so off-putting for me, especially as it's been suggested, in particular by Sean Farrick from Trek Culture, the way he dead-named Seven by calling her Annika, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. And and I wasn't just, I just like, I can't like this guy because he is such a jerk. But yeah, but you're picking him. As, I love this. You're picking him as your yeah. favorite character of the season, despite everything you just said. Yes, exactly. And so skipping ahead to No Win Scenario, when Picard was in the 10 Ford Avenue program and Shaw comes in and just chews Picard out for his role as the cutest at Wolf 359 and what happened to his ship and how he survived when so many of his crewmates did not, especially the officer who told him to go to the escape pod. I mean, it just brought that raw sense of PTSD and processing all of those feelings into 
his anger being directed at the card at that moment. Do you know where your old man was on that day? He was on that Borg cube, setting the world on fire. Forget about all that weird shit of the Stargazer. The real Borg are still out there, and they have a name for you. Locutus of Borg. The only Borg so deadly, they gave him a goddamn name. All right, that's enough. No. It felt like Cisco's sentiments about Picard at the beginning of D Space Nine and Emissary, mm-hmm. but this just carried it to a new level of just resentment. And I wasn't sure, again, if I would like him, but just the way he reveled in his smugness and just being an overall jerk was another departure from the way the quote-unquote heroes of the canon behaved. Just this calling back to Ro Laren, as I was mentioning earlier, he was the kind of person it's like okay he grew on me but he really had to grow on me for me to feel something about him and another thing that made me really have it feel this way about shaw was he has some of the best lines in the show in particular i had to get this down or they might remember the time that somewhat hot dropped the saucer section of the enterprise on a planet <laughs> enterprise d on a planet i so i had to stop the, I had to stop, pause the episode because I was laughing so hard. I just could not believe so that he good. said that. So <laughs> good. And I just, and he just had this way of looking at things that was just so awesome. It's like he really was the outsider, kind of like the way Dr. McCoy would respond to this 23rd century world around him. But like, am I really here experiencing all of this? Just that kind of feeling they had and then the fanboying element that he had with Jordy at the Fleet Museum as a fellow engineer. It was just just seeing his arc continue and up to his last moments in Vox and then that little coda that he had where he recommended Seven become a captain. It was just great to see the, the way this character progressed and became so memorable. It's, it's the best. Way. Okay, lots to cover there, but we're going to do this again. So I'm going to fire the torpedoes because my pick is the same. And you've said it before. Captain Liam Shaw had all these great one-liners. Every one of my five words in a hashtag this this, uh, episode so far is a line from Captain Liam Shaw, including this one. Sorry, Kim, we're going to get to you in a second. I'm confident I know who your pick is. So I am. uh, It's not it's not Liam Shaw, right? It isn't. No. Okay, perfect. So here we go. Five words and a hashtag. We're essentially cornered in space. Hashtag, which has no corners. And my episode is disengage. And yeah, so I'm going to tell you, I was enamored by this character. If you read any of my Trek Core articles, you know that I highlighted him in every article. And I was just, I loved him right from the start. I will say, definitely had an advantage to have the screeners and be able to watch the first few together. And and not have to live with the next generation for a week because then I probably would not have loved him as much because I get why people don't like him for his actions in that episode, but I'm also going to defend it. I'm going to break it down here. So from the very start, he actually tells you 
everything you need to know about him in that first dinner scene where everybody hates him. So he knows right away that Picard and Riker and Seven are playing him for a fool. So he works it back at them. He's rude. He tells them no, while also telling them right to their face. He actually says, I love you guys. I really do. And he means it. So he, but, but I'm not down for this and I'm not going to let you guys railroad me on this ship because the thing about Shaw is he, he's smart and he doesn't want to die. And he definitely doesn't want to do any extra work. He just likes everything structured. He doesn't want to have anything out of left field approaching him. He just wants to keep it all straight and narrow. And I just love that. So I love that moment in the next generation because he really, he does tell him in that scene, I love you guys, but no, I'm not doing it. I know what you guys are doing. He doesn't call him out on it, but he's, he's being his, his way of calling them out on it is being rude to them. So, okay. So one of the, and this is one of the crazy responses uh, to him from some of the things I saw from people is that he was incompetent or that he had an ego or that he was a coward. And that I just, that's ridiculous. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of why anybody who thinks that is nuts. Cause it's my favorite thing about the character at the end of disengage, which is my choice for the episode it, when he's about to turn over Jack to the Shrike. And by the way, he's doing it not because he's a coward, but because that's the, the path he sees forward for his crew and his uh, ship to get out of there. When Picard issues the Admiral orders as he's taken over, Shaw just looks at him and goes, what are you doing, man? And as soon as Picard said, he's my son, not one second of hesitation. Shaw, frustrated, the, the way probably I would be in my personality, he just rolls his eyes. He's pissed. But here's what he says. God damn it. Tactical, full power to forward shields. The forwards get ready to fly. Stand by to execute commands. Whatever happens next, Admiral, that's on you. I love that moment so much. The guy is so competent. He's such a great leader. He knows exactly how to turn it on when he needs to. And the same thing, the ego. Are you kidding me? As soon as he gets hurt in 17 seconds, he's got no ego to keep command of his ship. As soon as he's hurt and incapacitated, he looks at Riker and like, you got us into this. You're getting us out. This is the best option. So get to it. I love this character all the way through to the end when we see that, listen, he recommended seven for a promotion before the season started. So in the very first scene, when he sees that seven is basically betraying him for, you know, maybe a little harsh, but that's what's happening. He's a little pissed and he's kind of recoiling back into his own trauma and all those issues. And we could talk about Shaw forever. And last thing I'm going to add, because you brought it up, Chris, we are going to do top five hot drops at some point on Trek ranks soon, because that's just the most amazing thing ever. What's a hot drop. I don't know, but we're going to do it. Awesome, Carlos, what's your take on captain Liam Shaw? You know, it's interesting because I had that, that my reading on him, and I don't know it was because I also saw the screeners, but my 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 reading on him from that first dinner scene is not yes he was rude and he was an ass to Picard Seven and Riker undoubtedly but I read it as he knew he was that they were trying to play him and he was right. pissed yep, right. right and 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 I don't know if it was because I saw like the first whatever five episodes all at once or whatever. But like, I read it as that, as like, oh, you know, obviously we love Picard, we love Seven, we love Riker, but there's been so much buildup of like them, you know, like Riker talks about how they're going to steal the ship and what they're going to do and not steal the ship, but, you know, like, like basically get the ship to do what they want. 
And for the first time, we get a captain that's like, oh, no, 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 I, I see right through this. I know what you're trying to do, and, and I'm angry about it. And so, no. So, yes, there's a couple of other things, you know, that really make him an ass, make, you know, calling, making, calling her Commander Hansen rather than Seven and things like that. But I thought that he, I loved him. He was a, he's, he's my favorite addition to like the, to, to Star Trek um, in terms of like new Picard in the new era. I think he's my favorite (laughs) addition and I love Rios more than anything, but I, I, but I think he's, he's my favorite. Could be. Yeah. Could be. That's amazing. I haven't thought about it in that context, but all of new Star Trek, he could be the best thing. Uh, Kim, what's your take? I, I really love this character. You guys did a great job of uh, making the case for him. And I enjoyed your recap sections of Shaw moments on all the trick <laughs> <Yeah>. or <laughs> recaps. And I was going to quote the the line about, we just got cornered in space, which has no corners. <laughs> he had a lot of good little lines like that. Like, you know, I think it's important to let you know I was having a good day before this. Right. Yeah, so good. And then, so good. And his and his little um, nod when when Riker has his line of excellent use of the word burgle, and he's like, "Yeah, that was kind of good use of the word burgle." <laughs> On my imposters, my five words was, and I love this moment because again, it's him being a dick, but it's also him not being a dick. So he walks into the beginning. He sees seven Riker and Picard. This is the beginning of imposters, and he's like, "Hey, I already called Starfleet." But I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to walk out of the room so you guys can get your bullshit story straight. That's him doing them a favor. He's <laughs> by the book, but he's also stepping outside mm-hmm. so they can get their story straight. I love it. I love it. That's that's a microcosm yeah. for me. It's a it's a great character to create. Like when you're bringing somebody in, when you've got seven beloved characters and and seven of nine and Rafi to that uh, that you're invested in and that you want to that you're here for for the whole season to create a brand new character that is competent and smart and has a, round, a rounded personality because he's also a jerk in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But he's, you know, got the backstory and and to have somebody you care about that much as a new character is really uh, quite a feat. And I, I think he's fantastic. It's an incredible accomplishment. I also imagine that like Todd, what's his name? Todd Stashwick. Stashwick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I like he kind of seems like he's a lot like that character just from like the interviews and things like that. I'm not saying the asshole part, but I'm talking about like it just he just seems like a great guy that you would want to hang out with. Uh, he just seems wonderful. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, definitely Metallus wrote it for that. Sorry, Chris. Go. Just saying that Shaw was like a breath of fresh air in the okay. Yeah, we got this plan. We we're this is what we're going to do. And Shaw just says no because right. I want to go home <laughs> in five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And he cares about structure and yeah. leader, which is a lot like this show. So let's go to the end of round two, Kim. Who is your character? I think I know this. You, you, you do know this, I think. Uh, the five words are doomed before I was born mm. and hashtag constitution class, man. <laughs> oh, so good. My character is Jack Crusher. Slash box? <laughs> uh, no, just okay. Jack Crusher. Good. Okay, cool. <laughs> Um, as I said, I, I really kind of hated the secret son idea when I heard people talking about it before the season. And this character just won me over immediately. Um, we joked a little bit about how he's, he comes across as like a rogue or Han Solo, and he certainly got that swagger. Mm-hmm. But he's he's not really a rogue. He has a lot of bravado, but he genuinely cares about people. 
And he really feels guilty about putting them at risk. And I think that like he is a perfect mix of Picard and Crusher. And I love that you can see those elements in and yeah. how this character comes together because he's compassionate. He's he's also helping people in sick bay right away. When Shaw is injured in, in 17 seconds and he, you know, Beverly's like, help me with him, help me roll him over. And he comes over and helps him and he's helping to support him. And he's like, I'm so sorry about this, sir. Like, I did not mean for this to happen. Right. It's it's genuine. And he says that to Riker too. He's like, I didn't ask for any of this. I don't want people to be looking at me and, and hating me for putting them in this in this danger because I, I wouldn't have done that. And he tries to give himself up. A lot of times um, he, he's he's willing to, to sacrifice himself right from the beginning and disengage if it'll help save his mother um, and the ship. And he offers to trade himself for Riker and he, he doesn't. So that aspect of him, I think, is genuine and really comes through and, and gives him it, it definitely makes you like him. And you also see like his youth, like he is very impetuous and and has that bravado and, and can be genuinely brave because he's willing to confront um, Vatic when it's time to do that. Uh, but he, um, but he also is young. And so when he went to go see about meeting his father and thought he would just kind of scope him out and tend forward in the, in the yeah. bar and see what he thought before he decided whether he actually wanted to meet him. And he asked him the question about like, what about a real family? Yeah. And Picard gave his, you know, flippant little answer for the group of cadets who all applauded and thought it was wonderful he was hurt and he yeah. didn't stick around and but that feels realistic to me right like mm. people make those types of judgments and and move on from them so i what i like i, I didn't pick this because the episode i picked for him was the bounty because right. i think you get to see how he is at the beginning after he's diagnosed with theromatic syndrome and it he's kind of shattered by that so i love that acting scene like it's really cool um then he gets to connect with sydney laforge about their parents because he's very observant and kind of noticing what's going on when Jordy comes on board. And I love his minor larceny quip with Sydney and Alondra. He yes. like comes up with this, <laughs> so you know, it's like, what do you think about this? He's like, let's just go uh, steal the cloaking device and try and install it on the ship ourselves. I caused quite a lot of this. And your sister, on more than one occasion, has flown us out of the mess I made. Rather wonderfully, I might add. Okay. Let's reset our phasers. All of which is a preamble to me asking two very simple questions. One, how well do you know this museum? Two, what's your temperance for some, shall we say, minor larceny? It's it's really like he's just he's fun and he's got that as aspect of um, gumption, I guess, in that yeah. sense. Uh, but uh, but I like going back also and watching and disengage when he knows who Picard is the entire time in that episode, but he is still hurt and he's not willing to open up and he's not going to volunteer that information. Yeah, perfect summary. So many moments. And that moment where he where he is there watching Picard give those uh, speeches in... Uh, uh, wait, that's no-win scenario too. Yeah. That's no-win scenario. Yeah, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Incredible. What an episode. So uh, the thing I'll say, because you kind of tapped touched on it again is that he's got that mix of Beverly and Picard and it's on the page, but it's really this guy's performance. You know, it's just incredible what they pull off with this character and yeah, just, uh, just genius. I just have one last comment, which is if you're going to build your whole season uh, again, you're going to have like yeah. um, Shaw as, as a main character throughout the whole season, you're going to have Jack Crusher who you've never met before be a main character for the whole season 
it's got to work. Yeah, and if it you really does. If you don't nail it with these two kind of guys, who we just picked three of our four picks, her, you know, Jack Crusher and Liam Shaw, if you don't nail that, it's not going to work. And and they nailed it, and it worked. Chris Carlos. Yeah, I also I I liked what you said, Kim. I do think that obviously we you know we talked about his bravado and his like you know rogue nature and kind of uh, his attitude and things like that. But but it's it's just all a front, right? He really does care and he's sensitive and he is you know and obviously at the very end they make him they I don't know if it was a joke or you know they really they say that he's going to be the counselor and I think that there's something to it, right? Like he is very he's in tune, yeah. he is sensitive, he is someone that really cares and feels. Yes, he puts up a front and it's partly him as well, but at ultimately at the end of the day he's somebody that is genuine and you know we as the audience really picked up on that and I think he was it's it's he's a great character. Chris final take on Jack Crusher. Jack Crusher could have been a retread of Jason Vigo from the episode Bloodlines, but the way <laughs> he could, but the way that Espaliers brought such those qualities, like has already been said, especially by you, Kim, about his caring, his sensitivity, and his just gutsiness at times as a mixture of both of his parents. It was just so perfectly realized as this was he rather he was the the son of both Jean-Luc Picard and Beverly Crusher and had the best of both even when when he flew off from the Titan at toward the beginning of Vox and Picard said he has the best of you and the worst of me when talking about him after seeing the show go to warp it was just such a beautiful take on who he was as as a character in the series. So good. Your Jason Vigo point's legitimate because, and again, it's a TV series that was late in season seven of a you know seven-year run where they're doing 26 episodes a season. He is similar to Jason Vigo, but Jason Vigo, it didn't work because that actor didn't work and the whole thing just didn't work. This is it where, really did not. This is where it works. I mean, I know he wasn't his son anyway, but the point is it just was never connecting. Yeah. This is an example of that connecting and working and just a home run. So, okay, let's go to round one. Our top episodes of Picard season three. Carlos, hit it. Begin round one. All right. My favorite episodes, five words. I, I do see you. Hashtag return of the Mac. And it is imposters. My favorite episode. Love it. Of, it's oh, my man. favorite it's episode. Three times. Yeah. So wow. good. Um, I, you know, I loved episode 10. I loved four, six. Um, but I, I think in my heart of hearts, it's number five and it's everything to do with Row. Um, I also feel like you could really see the show. You could almost break the 10 episodes, at least in my head, as like, you know, episodes one to four and then five to eight and then nine and 10, right? And I think the, the, the shift in the story when the changeling threat is really exposed and Roe comes on board and really kind of dials it up before the Borg Queen dials it up again in 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 episode nine. It's just, it's just, it's it's wonderful. Everything about it is wonderful. And I loved, you know, the effects where I talked about, you know, the, the shot with the Intrepid is going to go down in history of one of the coolest Star Trek effect shots, <laughs> I think, ever. So good. I love seven in the episode. I just, it, I just, everything about that episode to me is, I think, what Picard, the the show itself, when it's at its best, right? Because it looks towards the, it looks to its history, it looks to nostalgia, it looks at what happens before, you know. And 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 in in this episode, we have really we have the changeling threat. Really, we have Roe. 
but it also kind of looks to the future. And so I think I think of the episode very much as a microcosm for when the show worked at its best. And it was, again, when it had one foot into in the past and one foot very much firmly going into the future, right? And I don't need to, you know, I think we've talked about it enough, but I thought it was a brilliant episode and it is my definitely, without a doubt, my favorite episode of the series. I love it. Chris and Kim, any final takes on preemptive strike part two? (laughs) 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 Which is a worthy, worthy moniker. It's a, it is a great episode. That was close to being my pick, but for all the reasons that Carla said, yes, absolutely phenomenal. Love it. Okay. Well, let's get to your pick then, Chris, what do you got? Okay. So my five words are, will they survive this one? The hashtag is silent running under pressure, and my pick is no win scenario. And this was tough because, like I said, with imposters and several of the episodes, I mean, this season was almost an embarrassment of riches in terms of right. the strength of the episodes. And this one really stood out because for a couple of reasons. The first being that it was in the style of some of the best episodes of Star Trek and the best films like Balance of Terror, Wrath of Khan, Best of Both Worlds Part 1, where you had ships playing cat and mouse with each other inside nebulas or in the depths of space. And just seeing the Titan having this conflict with the Shrike, but also the conflict inside the ship with the changelings. And then you have the conflict between characters. Like you had the Shaw and Picard conflict, for instance, and all that just worked together to ask the question, Are how in the world are they going to get out of this? Because especially with Riker going against Picard at the end of the previous episode saying, get off the bridge. And my heart just sank because I was just, I just didn't know how I knew they were going to get out of this, but it was like, how are they going to get out of it? And it was just one of the bleakest moments for the crew because it seemed like everybody's everybody's dead. Everybody is going to die. And I know that there are 10 episodes, but they may just be doing this in Stovacore or something. But <laughs> the other thing is that the characters had moments to shine with a standout being Beverly, when she realized what was going on with the creature that they were and the, the area of space that they were in, which was actually a nursery, which was a great callback to Encounter Farpoint. And there were moments of healing, especially the Riker and Troy scene at the very end where he's bas- he's talking with Deanna instead of recording a log like we had seen him do earlier and in the hopes that it would be delivered to her. And the last moment I'll comment on is the last new moment, rather, is Riker using the tractor beam to hurl the asteroid at the strike. Oh, right. It's extremely satisfying. Oh my God. It just that was just one episode that just really hit on all cylinders with me. Yeah, the pace and the visual effects. I mean, this that episode just everything just bursts off the screen. It feels like a little mini movie. I mean, it really feels like it's got that level of production and pacing and all the different storylines with the peaks and valleys and the highs and lows of everybody and uh and all framing it around Jean-Luc telling the stories and trying to connect with Jack in that scene you know the, everyone remembers that scene about because it's 
Shaw interrupts and and says, you know, the only the only Borg so deadly they gave him a goddamn name. Mm-hmm. But before that, he's trying to connect with Jack, and Jack mm-hmm. won't do it. Jack's like, "No, nah, I'll tell you a story about when I hustled somebody," you know, and he won't actually connect. And it's just really the the framing of this episode is perfection. Carlos, what's your quick take? Completely agree. I think this was my second favorite episode of the series. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I think that it 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 is it it's a satisfying conclusion to that first kind of in uh you know the first three episodes or the first four episodes and it's also so like everything about it is so like star trekky right it just feels yeah. like you know obviously the end with like the creatures being born and the callback as 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 was said to encounter at far point it just feels very star trekky it's big stakes it's the effects are fabulous the story is great it's just you know it, like it's everything that you want in a star trek episode and i think yeah. it's 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 as good as the best star trek movies in that episode agreed. alone agreed it really is it's that good uh, Cam, what's your take? Uh, well, you can uh, fire the defiant torpedoes. Let's hear this. I love it. Fantastic. Because this is also uh, my favorite episode, and I picked uh, five words are to seek out new life, and the hashtag is Bob's your uncle. <laughs> so let's talk about the space babies. <laughs> yes, it was so, it was just wonderful. All the reasons you guys have said, yeah. um, I'll I'll just mention too, like the the visual language of it, mirrors what's going on with the characters so you you start in literal darkness because they don't have any power and and go through like these uh, well the contractions and stuff like the the difficult moments throughout until they figure out like how to harness this and, and literally go through the birth of all these little space babies in the nebula and come out on the other side um, you know, capturing the light and and start to come out of the metaphorical and literal darkness, and it's so brilliantly done. It's I just I love rewatching it. It's like you said, like you um, said, Chris. I think like everybody gets a chance to have their moment here, like a, a really important moment. And so Beverly figures out what's going on with the timing. It's cool that they. Uh, Jack comes up with the idea, or he's the one that notices that you get power surges every time they they have the anomaly hit. Um, Picard has to approach Shaw to ask him to help, and he gets right. to work with Seven. And they all have to, you know, Picard and, and Beverly and Jack have to convince Riker that it's worth trying and yep. help, like find that hope. Let's again. do what we do well, right? That speech. Yeah. Which was Beverly, right? Yeah. Deanna would say it's about trust. Look where we are, here, all of us, in this moment. So let's do what we spent our entire lives learning to be great at. It's, it's, yeah, it's wonderful. And, and then to get to see Deanna at the end. We've been here before, Will. If this is the end, let's face it together doing what we know we do best. Riker just seems so, like, I don't, I don't know how to say it. It's like just like coming out of brokenness. He seems so small. And I'm so happy that the, the episode and the season, like, made time for those little moments that you could just breathe and be with the characters and kind of see what they're going through. And I because I like to think of Star Trek as having so many hopeful elements, 
I, I love the hope that exists at the end of this episode too. And now that Picard knows too, like why Jack didn't come to see him, it allows him to start getting past some of his anger. Mm-hmm. Because I think yeah. when he had left Beverly in 17 seconds, I mean, first he, he realized he didn't want to lose Jack when he was about to die at the end of 17 seconds. And he tries to come and he's like, well, let's talk. And, you know, it was nice to hear a story about the old Jack Crusher as well. Yeah. Um, but it, it's uh, when Picard realizes what had happened the few years before, it allows him to realize, okay, maybe I might have had a role in pushing him away too. Maybe unknowingly, but. Yeah, that last I second reveal make... was emotional. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Great pick. <laughs> so good. Okay, let me do this. I'm just going to read you a line from my Trek Core review about my number one pick. Runs the gamut of extreme emotions from steely personal contemplation, Riker, to explosive confrontation, Shaw, with all of it culminating in a joyous release worthy of Trek's most fulfilling, effervescent reveals, Space Babies. So, no win scenario. <laughs> Also, wow. number one episode. Awesome. All three triple pick. So I'll just close out and say the the last thing. And Carlos, you kind of t- tapped into this a little bit because it's it feels like a classic TNG episode. Mm-hmm. All this episode is is a hero ship stuck in a nebula, trying to figure a way out, and the crew coming together in the final moments to use all their expertise and a little bit of techno babble to escape. And that just feels so pure to me with everything else going on in this incredible, incredible episode. So, yeah, for me, this one is staggering. It's like really, really up there legitimately with the best of uh, Star Trek ever. And like you said, Carlos, it's, it's as good as any movie. It really is. It really is that good. And it's like an hour long, too. So. Okay, we are running long. Let's close it out. Let's get some secondary systems picks quickly. Let's see what you can do with the secondary system. Carlos, what just missed your list? Oh, the aromatic syndrome callback and like the yes. fact that it was an aromatic syndrome. It wasn't. That was always like, but like also what a cool reveal that was like 30 yeah, yeah. years in the making. And it's it's yeah. like and and it it was just very, very, very well done. I love it when you know, they they can take something that has been around in Trek lore and then kind of kind of just like flip it and you're like, oh crap, that actually wasn't that. Or like it changes it, it everything, you know. Changes about. everything. And I think the aromatic syndrome was done super well. The other thing that I that I almost picked for my dab around was just how nice how Star Trekky everything felt this season. Like you had things in sick bay and like things on the bridge. It just really felt like you were watching Star Trek. The music, everything about this season just screamed Star Trek. And I was Amen. so yes. here for it. True. So here for it. So those yes. were the two okay. that that almost made my list. Chris, quickly, what do you got? Okay, I'll do three. The first yep. one, production design element, Worf's Curleth, as you as, yes. as oh, Curleth. So good. What and it great, has a phaser in the handle. Oh my god. Yes. We didn't know that. It was like, <laughs> what? What there was a what? phaser the whole time. Oh and more, 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 more fun for that. <laughs> the second was a Dabo moment, and that was all the Easter eggs on Daystrom Station. Oh yes, thank you. Especially some people pointed out the reveal Kirk's body being there but for me yeah. it was the Genesis 2 torpedo it's like of oh, course yeah. section 31 would have that I, I sat up like a little schoolboy when they saw it with Kirk's body just like clapping like oh my god 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the last moment I'll mention is just the confirmation from Beverly to Picard about the fact that he was Jack's father, done without dialogue and disengaged. That was a yeah. that was a wonderful moment. Brilliant. Okay, uh, Kim. What's uh, what just missed your list? I'll do uh, three quick picks on this as well. Uh, one pick I didn't make that I wanted to talk about more was Tuvok. I was so happy to see mm-hmm. Tuvok. It was really nice so to get good. another Voyager character. He yes. just fit right back into yeah. it. I, I have always liked Tuvok and Seven's mm-hmm. dynamic. They're, they're just perfect. And so it was really nice to see, hey, just a reference to Calto and, and yep. in between them. That was cool. Um, my next pick is, we didn't talk about this at all in this episode, but uh, in Surrender, Data fusing with Lore oh by tricking him, <laughs> by yes. giving up <laughs> yeah. all of his memories Incredible. because Lore was so greedy that he was going to take them and smother Data. And it turned out that actually he couldn't accept them without becoming part of who Data was. And it included Spot. It was so yes. great. Oh my God! I get. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Data and Lore and that whole storyline, which is brilliantly conceived and executed. Yes, and Spot. It was oh great. Yeah. And then the last thing um, was the Last Generation, the episode. I I haven't gotten to watch it very much yet because it really just came yeah, out yesterday. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I I just it felt so cinematic. The music, the VFX, um, the storyline, the uh, epilogues that. I feel happy now that this is like the last next gen movie. Yeah. I can rewatch Nemesis. There's things I like about it, but it always leaves kind of a bad taste in my mouth in many ways. And this just feels like it was it was reset. And now I will go back and watch this whole season again over and over again and, and have it feel like a self-contained movie. And it's a great way to to send off next gen. Well said. I completely agree with you, Kim. I think, Jim, you and I talked about this, I think, in like season one best moments, that the fact that Picard exists as a series, I think makes yeah. Nemesis better because it's no longer, you're not seeing Nemesis as the end. It's just kind of an adventure that they go through and then yeah. things happen afterwards and it makes it better. <laughs> yeah, perfect. And Kim, when you were talking about in The Last Generation, I'm sorry, the next, yeah, The Last Generation, sorry. Just the fact of the Enterprise D going through the Borg cube. Oh, yeah. So in good. Ways that would never have been possible without CG. And it still looked beautiful doing it. It was just a fantastic yeah. way to show how the effects have advanced from just models being on basically rods and doing camera passes. And yeah. the beauty of the ship was still there too. And it was just phenomenal. And you really got a sense of scale yes. too. Like this was the first time where you felt like the the board cube was the size of a moon, and then you're against a gas giant, and you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah, yeah. yeah. really. That was. Uh, I mean, special effects in that episode it was, were it, amazing. It was the Death Star like run in <laughs> Star Trek. Kind of, yeah. Good point. And it worked. Yeah. It, worked it worked. It worked. It, it was did. definitely the return of the Jedi moment, and I was like, and, yeah. and Troy was flying it. I love it. And okay. she didn't crash. Yes. Okay. So I have three quick ones too. Uh, Amanda Plummer, we mentioned her briefly. Incredible overall work. She was one of my toughest cuts. Just melodic cadence with the unhinged speech pattern. She was just amazing. I love her. Uh, I think I mentioned this quickly, but the seven and Jack Crusher scene in the bounty. I think mm-hmm. you, you, you may mention it too, Kim. I love that moment so much. 
And I love their connection with the uh, oh, drive-by yeah. poetic observations. Yes. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you are your father. I mean, you are your father's son. Um, all right. And then special shout out to all the new cast, including one we haven't mentioned, Ashley Sharp Chestnut, who was ridiculously good as Sydney LaForge. Here, here. Really dynamic actor and the character she portrayed with, you know, she had a good amount of stuff to do and she really nailed it. Just really, I loved her too. She really was wonderful. Kind of character where you, again, you watch it and go, I want to see more of this character. She's really good. So good. Amazing. Okay. Incredible. Well, I mean, we covered a lot, but we literally did not cover it all. Not even close. So let's get into our regeneration cycle and quickly recap our picks. Computer, activate regeneration cycle. Alcoves beta and gamma. All right, quick recap. Carlos, run down your five. So my five pick for production design was kind of all the new Starfleet hardware, particularly the ships. Um, my creative person, I picked the the behind-the-scenes Avengers assemble of the Mike and Dennis Akuda, Dan Curry, Jim Martin, Doug Dressler, etc. My Dabo round was uh, the weaponization of the transporters, which I, I always wanted to see. Then uh, my favorite character was pacifist warrior monk Worf. And my favorite episode was Imposters. Love it. Chris, how about you? So my production design element were all of the audio and visual callbacks at the Fleet Museum from the Bounty. Creative person was Dave Blass as production designer in Vox as a highlight. The Dabo round was Roe Laren's return to the franchise in Imposters. Character was Todd Stashwick as Captain Liam Shaw in No Win Scenario. And the episode was No Win Scenario once again. And Kim, how about your five? Uh, my number five pick on production design was The Jackets, uh, <laughs> the episode Dominion. <laughs> um, creative pick was Jonathan Frakes with episode 17 seconds. Uh, wild card was the return of Beverly Crusher and Gates McFadden, and also in 17 seconds. The favorite character was Jack Crusher with the episode selection of The Bounty. My favorite episode was also No Win Scenario. So good. So, such a, I mean, we have covered so many elements here. It's incredible. Okay. My five was the uh, production design was the Titans nacelles opening up in no win scenario, super specific. Number four, my creative was Ed Spilliers and his performance as Jack Crusher disengages my episode. Number three, Imposters and the return of Roe Laren for my double round pick. Number two, Liam Shaw. Captain Liam Shaw, portrayed by Todd Stashwick, no win scenario, and my number one episode, no win scenario. So here comes some crazy stats. First, The first stat is that Chris thought maybe he wouldn't have any duplicates, and he had four duplicates. <laughs> so four, which is amazing, Chris. So Carlos and you had one duplicate, and you and I had the top same three. Our, our top three picks were all the same, which is hilarious. So we had uh, four duplicates and one triplicate with no win scenario. And we had two picks for Shaw, two picks for Jack Crusher and Spilliers, and one pick for Worf. And this is also funny now. So I said this after eight picks, we had eight episodes reflected in the final 12 picks. We had the same eight episodes all covered <laughs> because we, those other two never got picked, which were surrender. And incredibly the last generation did not get picked which is uh, funny. 
Mm. Um, because it's obviously mm-hmm. right there for me. That's it's probably my number two on the season. Mm-hmm. I give a shout out for the thermal detonator and surrender. And yeah. oh yes, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. you definitely mentioned it. But I didn't pick it. That's true. And yeah. I just and and I like your secondary systems, Jim, with Amanda Plummer. She gave off serious Joker vibes. She was scary. Oh yeah. She was. And her last line was awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. So the final the final count was so last generation and surrender no picks one pick each for the next generation disengage and dominion and then this core of the season where everybody got two episode three four five and six is what everyone kind of gravitated toward you have the bounty with two 17 seconds with three imposters with four and no win scenario with six overall picks which makes perfect sense Amazing, incredible. Okay, we're going to initiate a temporal inversion because it's time to hear from you. Initiate temporal inversion. Initiating. And for this week's temporal inversion, it's very appropriate for this episode. We're going to go back to episode 151 in our top five Prodigy season one moments, which incredibly, we got this amazing voicemail from our good friend Abby Summer and her two daughters, Ellie and Lila. And they just go through their favorite picks, and this uh, voicemail is awesome. So we get to hear it straight from the source on how much her and her kids and her family love Prodigy. Hi, Jim. It's Abby Summer, and I'm here with my girls to talk Prodigy. So I'm here with... Eliana Summer, and I'm seven years old. And... I'm Lila Summer, that's four years old. All right. We're going to talk Prodigy and what we liked from this first season. All right. Ellie, what was your favorite episode? Ghost in the Machine, because I like how all their programs come together to make one giant episode. It's very cool. A clue. <laughs> That's very funny. All right, Lila, which episode is your favorite? It's when and, and, and the ship blows up. Oh, and the last one? <laughs> yeah, that was a very exciting episode. Okay, so vote for Supernova there. All right, Ellie, back to you. Who's your favorite character and why? Murph, because I like how he's a space worm, because nobody knew that until they went to that, like, little, like, blob that was, like, that little transporter that was in space. Mm-hmm. And then they figured out he was a space worm. And, that, and I like how he goes through metamorphosis. Yeah. It's very cool. <laughs> I like that you know the word metamorphosis. All right, Lila. One second. Who's your favorite character? It's Gwen. How come? Because she can defeat people with her soul because when she wants to like them. Yeah, she's got a very cool heirloom, doesn't she? Yes, she does. You like to pretend that it's on your leg and you have a broken leg, don't you? Yep. All right, last question. Ellie, what is something cool about Prodigy that you just want to talk about? The proto drive because it's like so cool. My second favorite episode, though, it was my favorite before season two came out. It was the one where they all go in different times. That's a very cool episode. And I want to talk about that episode. I like how the proto drive, the one who makes that whole episode go how it's supposed to, okay? Yeah. That makes a very cool episode. <laughs> yeah, we watched that one a lot. Yes. All right, Lila, what's something cool that you want to just talk about, Prodigy? I'm thinking, I like 
when the vinyl it is not really the vinyl, because when when they are eating more, well, the dad tried to eat their shit, but he went on the wrong ship. Yeah, that was pretty funny when that ship tricked him, and it was actually Murder Planet. All right, so if you had to say how much you love Prodigy, what would you say, Al? I just love Prodigy so much I can't. Oh, I just got to explode because I love it so much. What about you, Lila? How much do you love it? I love Prodigy because everybody's my favorite because I have have posters of them. Yeah, we got posters for Christmas. So we just had to share the Prodigy love because we love watching it together as a family. So thanks for the wonderful episode on it, and here's to many more Trek Ranks. Okay, love those picks. Thank you, Abby. We got we had Ghost in the Machine, Supernova. Everyone loves Murph, obviously. Um, Gwyn got picked. Protostar, Time of Muck. Brilliant, uh, brilliant stuff. I uh, really appreciate that. Abby, Ellie, and Lila. Awesome voicemail. All right, once again, those picks more than enough to clear ourselves from this week's temporal inversion. So as always, I want to thank everyone for all your great responses to the Trek Ranks podcast. Please keep your list coming to me at Trek Ranks on Twitter so we can retweet them. But we also want to hear from you. So put together your own list of top five Picard season three moments or a list from any of our past shows. Give us a call at the Tricorder Transmissions at 609 512 5527, or you can just record it, send me a DM, we can connect that way. So, hopefully, we'll hear from you so you can be featured on the next episode of Trek Ranks. And on the next episode of Trek Ranks, we are doing kind of a weird one. It's going to be fun, though. It's a definite change of pace. It's our top five best hot mess. So, what is a hot mess? It could be a character, an episode, something you love. Um, but it's kind of a hot mess. So what would be on your list, Carlos, Chris, and Kimberly, if you can come up with one? I know this is a tough one. Lieutenant Barkley's a hot mess. Hot, there you go. You just <laughs> got one. Barkley's a hot mess, and that's not that's a perfect way to frame it. Could be that. Chris, that. Kimberly, anything? Barkley. Barkley. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Damn, I can't pick Barkley now. Um, Janeway's attempts to make food in the replicator. There you go. That is a hot mess. That is very good. That is so good. Okay. I love it. Looking forward to that one. It's going to be fun. Well, just heard from Starfleet Medical. and We have an outbreak of the Trillium plague that has screwed up our schedule coordination for best hot mess. So we're adjusting our schedule parameters and best hot mess will now be episode 158. And next week, episode 157 is now even better. It's an Enterprise-era focused show. We are doing top five Zindi War moments. So adjust your plans accordingly because we're heading into the expanse, deep diving into Enterprise Season 3, which should be super fun. See you then. Channel closed. Reset. Subspace communications. Scrambler code Riker 1. Scrambler code Riker 1 acknowledged. Okay, let's close out this episode with a huge thanks to Carlos Miranda, Chris Burris, and Kim Lawler. You guys crushed it. Any final trick Scrambler codes any of you want to relay before we depart? Carlos. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. This has been a blast as always. I love it. Chris, how about you? Well, I appreciate being on the show again, especially to talk about such a very wonderful season of Star Trek that we just experienced, especially with being able to talk with it, about it with Carlos and Kim as well. 
I love it. Kim, thanks for making time to come back on. Thanks, Chris, Carlos, Jim. It was really wonderful to get to your picks. This was such a fun season and I really enjoyed talking about it with you. So thank you for having me back on. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Until next time. All right. Thanks everyone for engaging with us here again on episode 156 of the Trek Rakes podcast. As always, I want to close by saying I'm looking forward to standing with you again here in this place where I belong. We match the speed with the wave, use the energy drawn from it, and Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt, we hightail it out the nebula, away from the gravity well, away from that ship out there, and away from our new friends, the Space Babies. Jack. Space Babies? Just want to remind everyone again that the entire Trek Ranks catalog is available for you to download and listen to at trekranks.com and on your podcast player of choice. Our episodes never get carbon data, so check out the topics you've missed and maybe just want to listen to again over at trekranks.com. And a reminder to check out our friends Five Year Mission at fiveyearmission.net. They're writing a song for every episode of Star Trek, and you won't believe how great their music is. They also have a podcast at the Trek Geeks Network, so seek them out. You won't regret it. better evidence that the past mattered. It's right here. How many times has she managed to save the world? No doubt more than the years will allow three old men to remember. You know, it's difficult to imagine what we all might have been without her. Different, certainly. But certainly not better. <sighs> Computer. Initiate shutdown sequence. Shutdown procedure initiated. I miss that voice. Take care of it, Jordy. Yes, sir. After all, she's always taking good care of us. <laughs>